listeners, thank you for tuning into Epigraph. My name is Jay, and I am a soundproofed room. Please welcome Daniel, who will be presenting some of his spooky poetry. Take it away, Daniel. Pale limbs. We like to imagine that we are the pinnacle, the apotheosis, the top of the chain, insurmountable but benevolent rulers of a domain that exists to sustain us. We try our best not to think about the rest of it. Pale limbs rise from the concrete, stretching impossibly towards the solemn, godless dark. Pale limbs crawl under our earth, invading our impenetrable homes, weakening our unshakable monuments. Pale limbs burn and die, and in that we think they have been brought to heal, been made to understand that it is us they serve. Pale limbs have walked this earth for eons before the infancy of our foolish species. Pale limbs live much longer than we do. Or did you not know that a houseplant can easily outlive the oldest man? Pale limbs do not crave power. They are incapable of hubris. They are incapable of pride. Pale limbs require very little, only sunlight and water, and they are much less fragile, even on the cellular level. Pale limbs will survive past our temper tantrum. We beat our chests and stand atop the mountains, which stand because the pale limbs hold them. Pale limbs will rule in our place because they lack the pathologies we hold up as virtues. Sea change. A skyline rests upon a pleasant crest. The easy city dweller sweeps the beach. Cuisine, of course, he taste tests all the best, finds each and every pleasure within reach. Yet we forget that terminal does not politely light suggest its consequence. So we dismiss the guilt that we forgot when we ourselves are full of innocence. The gently rising water warns us not to wait. It rasps its message on the pearlescent shore. To our ears, the fateful warning comes too late and for no perfect soul it waits a moment more. Of pride we spurned the wretched mess born of ourselves. The ill-wrought forgotten bastard roars in rapturous laughter, and with that awful voice the unseen title swells, a wave that leaves not one thing standing after. Below the water's darkened surface comes a caustic change. Currents shift, vortexes drift, the blackened ocean warms. It eats and eats and eats until nothing but sludge remains. Within the dreadful heat there come turning, churning storms. At last, a wave crashes to pull down our proud towers. Apartments, condos, palaces all crumble like wet clay. And in that grave calamity, the bravest stoic cowers. And so the mighty city sinks into the frothing bay. Helpless, stunned, we gawk in awe at the grand spectacle of industrial destruction. Buildings become battering rams, smashing into one another. Met trucks, cranes, all tossed about like the toys of children. Like children, too, we flee the wrathful acts of an inaction-maddened mother. Beleaguered, disgraced, we faithfully rest our holy hopes on broken belief. No power, no divine kindness to heed us, guide us, lead us in our frightened flight. Because our love matters not an inkling to a million tiny teeth, water wells up wide, a hungry maw to snuff the final light. And so the planet's masters fall into the fetid sea. Beneath their crowns, they cry and scream and drown and cease to be. The Leviathan and the Whale. One, port side. I am the poor man that gazes at the sea. I cannot look with greed or grift or guile. When I look too long, a terror seizes me. If it pleases you, stop and hear a while. Listen close, and I'll resurrect the story of the curse that rots this tear-salted isle. There on musty bluff, there weeps a daughter. She wonders now what fate befell her father. Two, undertow. He once was a captain who craved to be strong wishing to conquer these foaming oceans vast. A man unconcerned to think of right and wrong, he stretched the wretch to climb atop the mast. But then in reaching, his greasy arms stretched along. He broke for the ocean, speeding deadly fast, creating not a splash, gliding gently in with every last tremulous tendril of sin. Three, rip current. A long time silent, water solemnly still, not a single curious creature stirring, yet upon the schooner a merciless chill, yet below the surf a turbulent churning. The sailor twisted into a creature ill, and none above knew how the man was turning. The bloated body took to the ocean blue, and so sank the wretched whirling tendrils too. Four, polypode, a sailor no longer, a monster indeed. A terrible aching pain came sinking deep, not simply hunger, a dreadful biting need. His late crewmates became a crop to reap. From the splitting ship, the captain's wrath was freed. Now wide awake the greed that was asleep. No mortal ear observed the sounds of slaughter. The crew's cries echoed flat against the water. Five, sea keeping. 
Lower yet, the fetid captain was to sink. No man again to see his furious face pale. His desirous mind is set upon next to, to think what great kings may lay beneath the watery veil. And so his voracious glare glimpsed through the ink, the great dense shadow of an immense white whale. Down he chased it into the depths of the ocean floor, then wrapped quickly round it, unleashing a roar. Six, roll. The tremendous whale reacted, violence flashed. The captain misjudged so powerful a beast. And so the two powers struggled, near they clashed. The sailor's ferocity doubly increased. But still the sturdy whale remained hardly scratched. The whale's jaw slammed shut, the vicious battle ceased. And with its meal, the great white whale retires. The captain, broken and beaten, expires. Seven, surge. And above, the wrecked wreckage washed ashore. A hellish picnic strewn across damp sand. Twisted sails, broken masts, brittle bones and oars. Family treasures to keep memories at hand. Quaint crates and bundles packed swiftly for the war. Out in the night, miserable people stand. The families gather to share in their woe, and volunteers organize to grimly row. Eight, rising. A sweetly weeping daughter on frigid beach, with not a living soul left to hear her cries. Her sunny smile, the cold, bitter night had leached. The tears of her loss, the wintry wind soon dries. She soberly stretches herself just to reach at the sea, the place she know, knows her father lies. And still she sadly wondered why he had wished that of all things he dreamt of being a fish. Nine, sway. Forward towards sloping sea, she began to fall. She struggled to keep balance as well she could. She fancied she saw her father looming tall, for turning to her, she knew he always would. She knew then that without a doubt, she wanted all. And last, the poor child completely understood, and his daughter brought the sea up to her lips, and all else was lost in that immense eclipse. So awesome. So first poem, Pale Limbs is what I, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, Pale Limbs. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious because like, as I was listening to you speak, I'll be honest, like, again, I'm Puerto Rican. And so like Pale Limbs translated very directly from Spanish to me. So it's like, did you mean white people? <laughs> <laughs> and like, uh, after, as you continued to read, I was like, oh, no, you mean plants. Okay. But yeah. do you think that could it like is that is that something that you meant to represent in that way or like what what direction were you going with that? Um, you know that's an interesting question. Honestly, I think if you're able to interpret art differently and get something interesting and cool out of it, you should. It wasn't at the forefront of my mind when I was writing this, but honestly, I I think that is uh, a legitimate way to read this. You know, in a way, uh, this might reflect some of the. Uh, anxieties of colonization uh, but perhaps in a slightly different way i find that really interesting of the you mentioning colonization because like i mean we're we're getting close to thanksgiving so like what's like you said yeah. what's spookier than thanksgiving yeah. <laughs> what's what spookier, spookier than, than mass genocide and colonization <laughs> 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 but like i don't know like what so while i was listening to to um pale limbs i know that you mentioned that it was I guess like climate change and everything, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. And what I'm, what I'm wondering when it comes to, to pale limbs, like, did you have a, a specific, I guess, plant in mind? Cause it was very plant oriented, right? Um, so really all I had in mind was plant life in general. Okay. Um, you know, I focused on trees because they tend to tear apart our infrastructure, which I find fascinating that I we've, that. we've conquered everything else, but, just one seed in the wrong place can just utterly tear apart the things that we've built and, you know, are rather comfortable in. Yeah. It is about climate change um, because I often think about what the world would be like if we failed to stop the um, oncoming disaster, which it looks increasingly like we will, though I try to remain hopeful. But I, I honestly, I think... The poem is mainly meant to serve as something of a warming, warning that uh, Freudian slipped there. Warming. Uh, it comes as a warning that, that uh, the world doesn't need us to be here. Uh, and in fact, other species will live on in our stead if, if we don't figure things out. 
I oh my gosh, that reminds me of this one. Um, there's this one song on TikTok, and I don't remember what exact like who the exact artist is, but there's this one song on TikTok that's like the Earth isn't going to die when uh you know if we don't stop climate change, it will keep going on just without us. It will just make it unlivable for us. Yeah, I mean that is sort of what I was going for here. And in a way, it's kind of hopeful because, you know, if we can't figure it out, maybe some other life will do better than we do, even if it's not uh, <laughs> able to uh, think like we do. Dear um, Congress, if you ever happen to listen to this, I just want to let you know, like, don't bank on that. Please fix it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it'd be preferable if... Uh, <laughs> like, I'd like to survive. You know, we, we didn't all die. But, uh, <laughs> hey, if we can't manage to, um, you know, try then you know this will be the future <laughs> it's, it, this kind of okay, this kind of like going a little bit more and, and i guess a dark direction rather quickly but like thinking on that like thinking about it like that thinking about like um there was this one this one line that you read that was really impactful that was you know the plants house plants will live longer than mm-hmm. their owners um and i actually started thinking back like you are absolutely right i mean none of my house plants because i don't have a green thumb so like listen i don't i don't keep them around long enough (laughs) like you you gotta yeah you gotta call the herd every once in a while (laughs) i do actually have a a sort of a memory that's uh, inspired that line yeah my mom and dad actually got a philodendron plant um when my brother and i were born and uh we've kept it alive over the years and we've actually split it up so i have a plant living with me currently that uh very easily could outlive me that's kind of terrifying it's currently living in a bathroom without lights uh or water too frequently and it's alive yeah it doesn't care at all um so yeah i mean it, it very easily could uh, philodendrons are rather tough plants we keep it in the bathroom because it's it's poisonous to cats so we don't want to uh, we don't want to kill them. yeah <laughs> but uh, that's yeah. terrifying the like the same plant that saw you like lose your first tooth is also the same plant yeah. that is now living that's 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 so terrifying to me we used to use it as our christmas tree actually oh my god really <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh, been with us for a while that's freaking awesome I love I, I love the concept of like plants living more, uh, longer than their owners. So back in like, what was it? Oh my God. It could, it's like 2012, 2013. I don't remember. It's been a while. I went on a trip to the Southwest, uh, Southwest of the United States. And I ended up in the um, Sequoia forest. Um, I don't know if you've ever been there, but oh my God, it was, first of all, it was absolutely beautiful. But when you mentioned like, how plants can like disrupt the environment and stuff. I had like so many flashes of, first of all, Puerto Rican infrastructure where um, there's, it's, it's just kind of like haphazardly put together. And one of the things that like growing up, first of all, when I was with my mom, my, the garage that we had, uh, we had, there was a tree that was in our neighbor's yard whose roots would like crawl into our garage and start like lifting up the garage floor and everything. And we oh. couldn't, yeah. And we couldn't do anything because the, the main part of the tree was in the neighbor's yard. And so like, we oh. had like lemon trees that would like creep into our garage and we could just, all we could do was trim the branches and hope for the best. <laughs> and so going to the Sequoia forest, one of the things that I saw there was it was uh they had a fallen sequoia tree that was so enormous that they hollowed it out and made it into a cavern wow that was yeah kind of nice it it was it was absolutely beautiful don't get me wrong like i loved it it was absolutely gorgeous but it was also terrifying because you consider like how long that tree was there that tree was there like well beyond your even conceptualized in reality like and and (laughs) and so so Anyway, like the poem just kind of had me thinking of that, of like beyond just climate change and beyond just like what, what, uh, you know, earth not surviving or whatever, or like us not surviving in earth. It was like, um, also thinking about time and how little time the human species has actually been present. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that that is also like 
sort of part of this. Trees are, in a way, existentially terrifying. They've been around for so much longer than us. They're farming us. I'm telling you right now, they're farming us. <laughs> we do listen. We do carbon, like we we breathe in their oxygen, yes, but they're giving That's us true. oxygen so that eventually yeah. we go back to the soil and feed them back. They're farming us. Yeah, we're, we're just <laughs> nitrogen sources for them, honestly. Exactly. And uh, when I die, I want to be buried under a tree. Let the record reflect. Uh, I'm I'm all for it. <laughs> I, I think one, one other thing that I was trying to get across here is that like a lot of the problems that we are causing are due to the fact that we lay claim, we lay ownership over the earth and plants will never respect that. <laughs> they will always be yes. uh, testing the edges. They will always be sort of creeping in with root systems and branches. You will always have a weed in your yard. And I think that's kind of beautiful. Uh, that nature is able to just sort of say no. I like that. It's like, it's kind of like, I guess in a way, forcing us to consider to to release control, you know? Like, I feel like yeah. a lot of the, of the time of, you know, when we're trying to, when we're maybe laying claim to a land, like, you know, private property and all mm -hmm. that stuff. Don't get me wrong. I am all for like protect you, your your property, like your property. That's your your living quarters. And you yeah, and yeah. you deserve to have a safe space to live in and everything. But when you consider like again, like you said, nature doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> no, it does not. And I guess that's I will say that's one of the things that, at least personally to me, is is scary about climate change. It's not just the storms are going to ravage us and we're all going to die kind of thing. It's also like what happens after is that we're gone and nature does not give a single shit. No. That that could be terrifying. And I I think I think that's part of the reason that we we don't typically want to think about climate change because we want to think that the earth was made for us. But in reality, we've just been clinging to this rock for <laughs> as long as we could. And uh, if we don't do so with more care, we're not going to be on it for much longer. Hey, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. That's also another thing that I think about a lot is like when we think about are we alone in the universe, you know, mm -hmm. is like, let's just say let, per perfect universe. We find another exact copy of Earth somewhere out there. What lessons have we learned from this one that we're not, that we're going to apply to the next one? We're not. We're just going to keep on, you know, doing what we do, and nature is going to keep claiming the <laughs> yeah. the the victory oh. over and over and over. And at what point do we decide, like, okay, maybe we should like a change a few things? Well, I mean, that's honestly a very interesting way to think about it. Almost Darwinian. Like, if we are unable to solve this problem, maybe there's another species out there that will. <laughs> it's hard to say you know but it's an interesting thought um i, I will 100 percent admit that i am fully selfish and i'll say like can we be the ones to figure it out because like i'd like to live oh yeah i'd, <laughs> I'd like, like to like I'd, comfortably live and not I'd sweat prefer it. <laughs> i'd prefer it so with so with that with that first poem being about climate change and everything was there something specific like a specific event that triggered that inspiration to start writing that poem that's difficult to say because i've written it like a, a little while ago mm -hmm. i think mainly what inspired me was a general anxiety um that has just been pervading i think american life and american media the fact that like every year we see harsher and harsher tropical storms the fact that we're seeing more drought it's it's strange to see so many effects, but to not hear about solutions. And I think, you know, uh, we, we saw some hope with, you know, some climate resolutions and uh, legislation, but even that um, very moderate success and most of it hampered by lobbying by the oil and gas industry. So in general, I think uh, this, this poem has a lot of emotions in it. It has exhaustion, anxiety, despair, but it also has hope in it too. Yeah. Either that we'll end up changing our ways or that if we don't, something else will come along. 
and live in our stead. I'm I'm curious about this. So, and he, this is just like a concept I think about. So I, I recently I'm more of like in the middle management type of role. So mm-hmm. I get to see I like I have a, a a bit of a broader view into like for example my my organization and what they're doing, what they're planning, and everything. And mm-hmm. a lot of times, like I as a middle manager have to basically make the choice of how much am I going to tell my team? Is it actually relevant for them? Is it something that they need to know? Or is it just going to cause further panic? And so I start thinking about that in the grand scheme of things. When we're talking about climate change, mm-hmm. when we're talking about like what the oil companies are lobbying for and stuff, I personally like to believe as, as don't get me wrong, I am full supporting like we should absolutely address climate change crucial we need to do that now we cannot keep waiting on it but i also think of of the the people that are currently in a leadership role that are Mm -hmm. that can be the decision makers for for climate change that can drive us to like where we need to go and the fact that they're not do you ever do you ever consider that um and I'm not tr- promise. I'm not trying to play devil's advocate here. But like, are, do you ever consider mm-hmm. that maybe they uh, there's something that we don't know that they might, or do you think it's more like they just care more about I think, the present? I I will be honest with you. I think that Joe Manchin probably wants to buy a second boathouse. Oh my god! Don't I talk to me about Joe Manchin. I live in his state. um i think that there's a a lot of money in the oil industry that is coming from the government but also going back into representatives pockets the government subsidizes the oil industry the oil industry subsidizes representatives and i mean i i I did some research recently because i i have a class where we're discussing climate change Uh and uh open secrets you go to pretty much every candidate i i will be honest with you uh, if you think of a candidate and you look at their funding, especially on uh, election years, uh, they will have received at least $100,000 most of the time from oil and gas industry uh, reps uh, for campaign contributions, which to me suggests that, uh, I mean, I think they want to solve the problem, but not at the expense of their investment. And, and to me, this is very clear by the way that uh, they've talked about this sort of thing. Like Joe Manchin, I, I actually, I have a quote from him here. Oh, no. <laughs> I Listen, uh, he, he, he inspires a rage in me. Please go on. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's, it's very understandable why he has the position he does. Let me just... Please justify his position to me because I don't see it. Well, and I'll tell you... His exact, um, his exact quote here. Okay. He says, we need to focus on real solutions that recognize the role fossil fuels will continue to play. So to me, that suggests I am never going to let go of fossil fuels. We need to focus on ways to make fossil fuels cleaner. And the unfortunate thing about that is we don't really have ways to make fossil fuel cleaner. Uh, we can do carbon capture, but that requires a lot of energy to implement. Um, and it, we honestly can't capture it as quickly as we're releasing CO2. There's also oxyfuel combustion, which is uh, a way of capturing carbon within the system that's burning natural gas. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people point to natural gas as like a, a good solution because it produces around half the carbon of coal uh, for the same amount of energy. Uh, but the problem here is that extraction of natural gas requires fracking, which in itself releases lots of uh, methane and CO2 right. from the earth, as well as requiring a lot of water and using chemicals that are carcinogens and toxins that leak in the ground. So it's, I mean, like I see people saying that we can make fossil fuels clean. I don't see it really being a thing in the future at all in terms of feasibility. Um, but I imagine we'll play around with the idea for another decade until it's too late to turn this thing around. Unfortunately. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, like, do you, do you, th- um, I'll be honest, like I'm I'm pretty jaded with the way that things are going. I don't think that we're going to do anything about it until like it's way too late. And what we're going to do is more like patchwork. Hey, look, we can we, I can't we can breathe air. And then like we're just going to like it's it's all like it's already been happening where like people like packaged air to sell. Yeah, so, like I mean, 
yeah, if we if we can't commodify a solution, we won't implement it. Exactly. Uh, which is the problem, I think. To to be fair though, I, I do see other solutions potentially working. Have you heard of geoengineering? I haven't. Tell me about that. Um, so geoengineering is a rather controversial uh, topic uh, among scientists because it's uh, we don't know much about it, and it could go wrong if we don't know much about it and we try implementing it. But very basically, it involves creating aerosols that cool the atmosphere, basically technologies that can intentionally uh, change the the temperature of the Earth. So like one of these things... I'm <laughs> Aerosol injection. Please expand on yeah. that because I feel like I am the imagery I just got in my head, I'm sure is not the right one. It cannot be. Um, basically injecting aerosols into the upper atmosphere in order to block sunlight. That's one of the methods. There are other ones. Please tell me that this is not along. Is this around the same line as like, what was it that Futurama or whatever, where they had like the giant ice cube that they'd manufacture and then put into the ocean to pull it down? <laughs> I would like to say no. <laughs> um, so some of these are rather crazy. Uh, mirrors yeah. in space. Satellites that are designed to change the amount of solar radiation that impacts the Earth in the form of climate engineering. So mirrored satellites, they would reflect sunlight. They would cool down the Earth. Um, but a very strange concept uh, in our current circumstance. I mean, a lot of these are a last resort. And uh, the problem is if we inject an aerosol and it is too effective or we aren't organized in doing it and multiple multiple people do it we could be launched into an ice age so um, i mean <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a last resort it's unpredictable but yeah. hey uh, if worse things come to worse maybe we'll fix it that way who knows <laughs> so just in case uh i don't want to sweat my ass off um please launch me into outer space uh where it's nice and cold and i can freeze my dead ass off instead <laughs> Awesome. I, I'll be honest. I hadn't, I had never heard of, of geoengineering before. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. The, um, who is it? Boy, I'm going to get this wrong. No, Hank Green. Hank Green. Uh, oh my had, gosh. Uh, yes. Some, some really good coverage on it. And he explains why we need to be really careful approaching it, but how it's an interesting and maybe helpful thing to, to consider. Yeah. So yeah, he's, he's done a lot of stuff on that. So your second poem, and I super duper apologize, but your your second poem, I think it like, so it hit me with like a ton of bricks. Um, and I felt like there was there was a little bit of rhyme to it towards the end, but I don't mm -hmm. remember what the what the title of it was. But Oh, Sea Change. Sea Change, yes. Okay. Yeah. So you're in landlocked South Dakota, Sea Change. Talk about that. What 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 it, what inspired that? I mean, similar to my first poem, mm -hmm. um, I think sea the, the sea the ocean is another part of the earth that we don't usually consider but one that has so large an effect on us that we couldn't possibly consider it mm -hmm. like this the storms that we often encounter are results of the sea um our current climate even like because the sea brings warmer currents from from the south like the I, the sea has such a large impact in terms of ecosystems it's and it's also been around forever. Marine life has been around forever. So it's, it's again, something old and dangerous and interesting that I wanted to cover. And it's also worth mentioning that uh, like the sea change itself is um, a phrase that means a large change. And to me, that is exactly what we can expect from our current actions. Large dramatic changes happening relatively soon. Kind of to that point of the large dramatic changes, I guess, if you could, if you could go back in time, Let's say you could pinpoint, oh, pick, yeah. pick any year, any any decade, any decade that you could go back in time. What decade would you think would be the one that would be the most impactful to making sure we are not at this, where we're at now regarding climate change? I mean, that's really difficult to say. Like <laughs> what legislation should be yeah. passed? Like let's say let's say it in the, in 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 terms of ten years, you know that you got you got mm -hmm. a several several people going in and out of office during those ten years. Yeah. What what in in what century like of those like if we're talking like nineteenth century, eighteenth century, whatever, which one of those, what decade would you think is like this is where we should have made the change? I mean, uh, all of this kicked off with the nineteen hundreds and industrialization. Mm -hmm. The thing is there that industrialization. It helped us a lot in terms of uh, improving the, the lives of 
people that wanted quickly produced goods. Uh, but I, I am, you know, thinking about the way that uh, industry was set up in that it was basically set up for the profits of one person. Uh, I imagine if we were able to start industrialization with, you know, workers coalitions where workers are making decisions about how much people are getting paid, we could keep and even improve that standard of living uh, while being responsible about production. Because we all live on the planet, if we were all making decisions about industry, I think we would all probably decide, you know, instead of making maybe 10% more profit this year, maybe we can just follow a different method that makes us less, but also better for all of us in the long run. So in that sense, from the 1900s on. <laughs> you heard it here, millennials, you ruined another thing. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm a millennial, I promise. Go on. <laughs> in terms of like politics and like meaningful legislation, honestly, within the past, I'd say 15 to 20 years, there have been a lot of opportunities to pass legislation where it's it's either been weakened or completely blocked um, by some of the same bad actors that have investments in oil and gas. And as long as there's the profit motive, uh, I don't see a solution happening. Anytime. You know, and I, and I wonder about that. I wonder about, because like, when I think of, of things like, like I, I, thinking of myself as a completely, completely selfish person, you know, thinking of like, I want to make sure that I am doing the best that I can for myself mm -hmm. and nobody else. Yes. Even with that, uh, I had, for example, like I had a therapy session today where we were talking about what, you know, the, the, the situations that I've been going through personally, like, what do, do I regret not being an asshole when I had the opportunity to be an asshole? Hmm. And so, uh, and the answer was no, the answer was like, I, I didn't apologize for a lot of the things that happened because I didn't feel I had to. I felt that I gave the time and space that was needed and I let allowed people to make the choices that they thought were best and I just respected their choices. And so when mm -hmm. I think about like people in leadership, people that are making these decisions and and their their influence. I'm also thinking of like mm -hmm. like our current president, President Joe Biden is part of the silent generation. He's not even a boomer. He's a mm -hmm. silent generation. And so I'm thinking like, I can't rationalize. This is just me. Maybe my perception is wrong, but I can't rationalize how somebody would look at where we're at right now and said, yep, this is good. We're good here. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, the difficult part about this is it's sort of the way that the system is set up. If, for example, Sleepy Joe, and should we call him Sleepy Joe? <laughs> Sleepy Joe. <laughs> He's a tired guy. Sleepy Joe, it, if he passed climate legislation, he would not get money from oil and gas industries and he would not be elected. So it's it's actually kind of interesting because it, it really doesn't matter like what's in people's hearts. It doesn't matter what Joe Manchin feels in his heart. Which is nothing, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Um, but regardless... It, I mean, it, it just kind of helps that they're, you know, rather nasty people sometimes. Yeah. But uh, the fact is that, like, the system incentivizes this kind of behavior. And if one person doesn't engage in bad behavior, they'll be replaced by another. Uh, it's just the way that markets work. If one company doesn't act inappropriately in the pursuit of profit, another company will. And the first company will be outcompeted. In the, in the same way, we have the same thing happening with politics because money is so important with politics because it's advertising. It's always advertising. You know, I, I heard that AOC was talking about that. And this was like several years ago. We just talked about how how absurd it is that the majority of their time is spent not working with stuff that their constituents are actually caring about, but just mm -hmm. fundraising. That's it. That's what they're doing. And it's like, I, yes. I, I don't know. I just, it, it baffles me that, that that's where, that's where we're focusing on. Like, I'm, I don't know. I, I live in West Virginia right now. I live in mm -hmm. Morgantown. And so like, it would be super freaking awesome for me if I could drive my car and not be afraid that I'm about to lose a tire. That would be superb, yep. especially with yes. the amount of taxes that I pay to the city of Morgantown. Mm -hmm. Like it would be freaking phenomenal if I could do that. 
but that's that's just not the reality that we live in. And so the fact that like we're paying people to mm-hmm. literally just be warm bodies is just astounding to me. I mean, I think it helps if we realize that it's just football. How do you <laughs> it's mean? It's just the Super Bowl. It is two teams that are getting paid a lot of money from companies that benefit from their performance. And we are all cheering them on. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter who wins or loses because the companies are making a lot of money from us watching the game. So, like, let's boycott the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the Super Bowl, but uh, I when do it comes too. To I watch it for the ads. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, and the snacks and the company, you know, it's it's all good stuff. Um, But in reality, it is a lot of the time team sports. And uh, I mean, Joe Manchin's a Democrat. Like, this isn't really one senior or another. Well, no, I mean, (laughs) not in terms of policy. but Yeah, um, I was going to say, like, you you know, call a spade a spade. Dude's not a Democrat. (laughs) He's got a D next to his name. Okay. Well, he's the D D does not stand for Democrat. I'll tell you that. No, no, it might stand for a couple other things. I don't know. That to say, yeah. by the way, full disclosure, not a Democrat. I have very many opinions. That's, you know, whatever. I'm I'm Puerto Rican. I don't, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I I am not sold with one party or the other. I am with the party that. Listen, it's, it's just safe for everyone to say we hate all of them. Exactly. Of them That's literally it. it. Because it's true, because they don't have our best interests in mind. That's, that's literally what it is. They don't have our best interests they in are, mind. They aren't representing us. They're representing the companies that pay them. Exactly. The last poem. I wanted to bring out the last poem because, oh, my God, that one was I, I really, really like the way that you split up in uh, the poem into separate sections. And I wanted to ask, like, what inspired you to split it up in that section? Was that something that you had seen in another poem? I just, I found it fascinating. Um, To be honest, I, I think I was inspired by a couple things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the most fun things to do with poetry is to mess with structure. And I think I remember reading, like, a lot of Ezra Pound. Like, he likes to do this with, with titles and subtitles, but also like since the story, uh, since the uh, poem is is a story itself, like it, it helps break it up into little subsections. But yeah, that, that was sort of why I, w- with subsections, sort of chapter heads almost. Also, I think it helps to give like a general image of a stanza before you get into it. But also I meant it to be something of like a, a visual metaphor for the many tentacles of the creature. Yes. Uh, that there are lots of different names for for each stanza. Um, yeah, I, one of them is polypode, which which means like many armed creature. <laughs> I am really excited that you brought that up because I specifically actually looked up polypode as you were reading it because I was it was it was so interesting and honestly the the majority of the images that I found were like ferns and that sort of stuff so i'm not sure if i mm-hmm. really looked up the right thing but when i look up the etymology oh, I, I think scientists yeah scientists might have another <laughs> another yeah. way for it you know the polypodialis ferns that's what they call it but there's also in in zoology the polypod is, is yeah, that's what it means is having many feet yeah yeah just getting a little creative there i suppose <laughs> i i oh. really enjoyed that i i don't know it felt like it felt almost like you were, uh, as you were reading that you, I mean, like you said, you were, it was like many, like many feet, essentially many, many tentacles and stuff. But one of the things that I, at least it's, uh, the way that I was seeing it was like the progress of every little mm-hmm. detail that had happened. And I think it was, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but the impression that I got was that it was this girl who her, her family member probably father if I'm father. Yeah. yeah yeah had had experienced something intense potentially life-threatening if not cause them to pass away and well again this is sort of like a metaphor about uh colonization yeah he's he's greedy he stretches towards the sea and he transforms that that was sort of the goal there to sort of demonstrate the monstrosity of the greed of reaching across the ocean <laughs> And sort of the younger generation's reaction to it. I don't know if it always came across that way, but uh, it was sort of part of the the idea idea generation for this. So colonization hits me really hard because I, I as as somebody who was born and raised in a colony, that that's 
um, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a touchy subject. I'm not going to lie. It's a little touchy. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's really, it, it's nice, at least from my perspective, it's really nice to see other people being aware of the fact that, you know, when we think about history, when we think about, um, you know, Christopher Columbus conquered America or whatever the hell, mm-hmm. we're not done with that era. Like, in history class they kind of portray it as like okay he conquered america and now we're done we're not though yeah no not at all to me like throughout my years of college there were like a few like great big realizations and you know i think one of them was that you know america is currently engaging in genocide and then the next step is realizing that it's actually currently engaging in several genocides across the globe even mm-hmm. it's it's bizarre to learn and to like think about the fact that no one's doing anything about it but I, I think that's that that was really startling for me and that was part of the inspiration for this call just out of curiosity we are so i know that so we're in the 21st century social media is mm-hmm. freaking huge and this is this is a completely new concept there's there's you know there, there's really nothing quite like it um you know you get real-time alerts and exposure to everything that is happening anywhere on the globe at a moment's notice. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that has affected or maybe even desensitized us to the amount of genocide that is happening in the world? Oh, absolutely. I I think that in, in a way it's almost like entertainment and this is something that like bothers me and, and makes me uncomfortable to think about, but Mm -hmm. to a large degree, like, I think that people who talk about virtue signaling are right in a way that sometimes we perform an understanding of an issue um, in order to get excited about it or to be entertained by it, which is not the goal with this poem, but I think it's, it's part of the issue. Like the fact that we are desensitized to this and the fact that it is so entertaining to, to be so aware about the conflict and to be rooting for, for the, you know, the side that we're supposed to root for. I think that's a real risk, especially in the way that we cover these things. It can be almost voyeuristic. And it, and that's especially if we, we aren't agitating to create solutions to these problems. I, I think about that a lot because like I've been, so for example, I've, I've been personally very active on, on LinkedIn. I've been kind of moving around my, my social media mm-hmm. where I'm active in. And even on LinkedIn, it's like, it it almost feels like a dystopia in a way where like, mm-hmm. I I am acutely aware as as you know a Puerto Rican person what is happening in Puerto Rico and the, the mm-hmm. lack of support from the government the fact that we're a colony that we're second class citizens all of that stuff like I'm I'm very acutely aware of that and then I log on to stuff like Facebook and LinkedIn and it's like um maybe I'll see a post of like somebody making a meme and then you know, uh, we're dropping bombs on someone. And then the next post yeah. is like, by the way, this new artist just launched a song. And I I personally, I try to take clarity breaks from social media ever so often just because mm-hmm. of that, because that's just, that, that's a lot to handle. It is just really strange that like the the brutal news of our continued like terror, basically, is uh, it's just right alongside like pop culture and advertising. It's, it's all in the same pot. You'll see a post from your friend talking about what they cook for dinner. And then all of a sudden you're reading about, you know, the, the Israel Palestine conflict. Like there's, it's, it's very strange. And I don't think probably conducive to, you know, thinking deeply about these sorts of issues. It's all entertainment. Like I said, it's football. I feel like, and as someone who works in in the tech industry myself, it it is a competition of people's attention and how long you can keep Mm -hmm. their attention for. And I feel like, I don't know. I'll be and this is going to sound really silly, but I'll be honest. I feel like we just just all need to go outside and touch some grass. <laughs> like, no, I, I mean, that's that's a, a truly wonderful solution. Like, like to, I had that happen to, just today, even. Uh, so mm-hmm. when I was uh, I, I had to go out to Walmart and I was like super stressed out and overwhelmed and like everything was happening just all at once. And I remember like I was mm-hmm. walking out to my car where I park is pretty far. So I had to go walk all the way down to parking lot. And there were, you know, lawns on the way there. And I literally just sat down and I just quite literally touched some grass and felt better. <laughs> like, okay, we can do this. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think part of the the real terror of social media is like living outside of our bodies for so long. 
when you're do doom scrolling, you're not living in your body. You're not thinking about your role in the world. And you're sort of alienated from yourself and your community. So like going out and touching grass quite literally can like make you live in your body. You might run into a friend who is also touching grass. You might talk to that friend, share ideas with that friend that aren't like sound bites. <laughs> um, <laughs> sound bites. You might I go to that. a you'll go to a, a farmer's market. You'll you'll talk to community members. Like there's there's so much good in like just literally going outside. <laughs> I, 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 I've been doing this thing recently where I've been trying to romanticize the little things in life. So one of the things that I like romanticize, for example, is I, I got, and this is gonna sound so friggin' basic. Don't come at me. I bought some pumpkin spice, hot cocoa. And oh, pumpkin spice is the best. Right. It freaking Don't rocks. let anybody dissuade you from that. <laughs> it freaking rocks. Oh, it's awesome. And so like I, it was after work, I had had a, a stressful day at work. It wasn't a bad day. It was just stressful. It was, it was full of a lot mm -hmm. of stuff. And I was having a really hard time disconnecting. And honestly, just sitting down, I just sat down like on the floor of, of my place. And I was just listening to the hot cocoa, like brewing or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the smell of pumpkin spice just like filling the space. And that to me was enough to ground me to be like, okay, we can tackle another day. We can we can do this. I don't know. I, basically, what I'm saying is, maybe maybe we should get a politician to do that. <laughs> maybe we should like put some yeah. pumpkin spice there, like go touch know. some it's, grass. It's tough because they're all a billion years old. If they go outside, they'll like sniff some dander and probably die. I I don't know. Um, <laughs> but but uh, I don't know. Maybe having them go outside and maybe talk to people. Maybe some of the people that they're supposed to be representing, it might be good. Yeah. More than just like photo ops. But I feel like that part of the difficulty is they're representing so large a group of people that they mm -hmm. they probably won't have time or like the desire to talk to the people that they're representing. So they won't be able to hear from them. I got I gotta admit, that's a really that that's sad to hear. So I've I, I, I personally, I like to be very hopeful. I like to think mm -hmm. that while, yes, we should not put 100% of our trust in uh, the government because, you know, shit happens. Mm -hmm. I'd like to think that they keep our best interests as heart. But um, I'll be perfectly honest, at the if I ever have a conversation about the government with anybody, it's, it's disheartening to hear the reality that we know they're not there for us. And that sucks. And NSA and FBI, if you're listening, I'm not saying mm. nothing. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> your people need to get in touch with our people. <laughs> That's Listen, all I'm saying. Jay, Jay was born in the colonies, so they... The federal law does not apply to them. Back off <laughs> I am free to do crime. <laughs> if you look at maritime law, please. <laughs> I am traveling. Um, sorry. Oh, God. I, I honestly think, I, I understand the despair there. I, I think if we can make being a politician like a not lucrative career, and if we can get some direct democracy going, that would probably solve most of our problems. Because I, I think most of us have the same goals in mind. Mm -hmm. And as long as we're not like being influenced by the profit motive, we can probably all think pretty clearly about problems and reason with each other about solutions. I don't know. So I'm, I'm optimistic. Like, I think essentially people are good. It's just the systems that we're in that, that make us make bad decisions a lot of the time. I, I really feel that. I really do agree with that. Like, I think fundamentally, like, are there outliers? Probably. But honestly, I think that all of us, in a sense, in some way, are good. And I, I really do think that, you know, just wanting your own survival is not a bad thing. It's just, you know, want it with everybody else's survival too, you know? <laughs> That's kind of my thing. Yeah. Um, but I, I do yeah. think that people, in essence, we are just fundamentally good. And uh, yeah, and I, I, I agree. I think I think maybe if, if we if we just keep that in mind that like, I don't think that even the worst things in the world, I think at some point, in some way, in some semblance, although I may not agree with them and I may, I don't justify nor condone them, I do think mm -hmm. that they're not made out of pure evil and malice. 
I don't think that yeah. that's the, the pure intention of the person. I Again, don't agree with it. Murder is wrong. Bad. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. But, you yeah. know, I, I don't think that somebody wakes up one day and says, today I'm going to be evil. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I wake up and I, I say to myself, uh, today I will cause problems on purpose. <laughs> I woke I, up. I, I want to make it everyone's problem. <laughs> I, I don't think that's how most people start their day. I think that's just a me thing. this was a lot of fun yeah i I really enjoyed enjoyed it even just talking to you was was pretty good (laughs) i I always blush ah please (laughs) all right well uh just to start wrapping up here um so Mm -hmm. i mean ultimately climate change the ultimate scary thing we're in october it's the ultimate scary thing because it is uh imminent sorry (laughs) it's real and it's imminent In order to kind of try to end it a little bit on a positive note, uh, what is what is the suggestion that you would give to someone that is feeling like the real hardcore weight of of helplessness when it comes to climate change? I would encourage people to seek comfort in their community. Talk about these issues with your friends. Vent. Um, I find venting often helps. Do something about it. Get involved with like local politics and like Jay said, touch grass. I think <laughs> that often helps. And. And get yourself some pumpkin pumpkin spice. You know, if we're gonna if we're gonna spend so much money on industry, you might as well uh, yeah. drink something tasty while you're at it. Yeah, exactly. You know? All right, well, awesome, Daniel. It was awesome to have you back. I'm I'm really excited, and I can't wait to hear more from you. You are a phenomenal writer, and your clearly your work has an impact. I mean, considering how much I've rambled on and on about it. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. This has been a lot of fun. I'm glad. we could do this yeah absolutely yeah just to wrap up uh daniel do you have uh if anybody wanted to get in touch with you regarding your work or to talk more with you what is the best way they can contact you the best way you could probably contact me is uh through my email uh the blue sheep studio at outlook.com with a the at the beginning the blue sheep studio at outlook.com that's sheep with like uh the, the the animal sheep Yes, yes, a blue sheep. It's an inside joke between my brother and I. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you again, Daniel, for being here. And thank you, listeners, for listening to Epigraph. This episode was edited by the phenomenal sound gremlin, Celia. Follow us on social media and join our Discord. You can find all our contact information at epigraphcast.co. That is epigraph. E-P-I-G-R-A-P-H-C-A-S-T dot card dot co. And if you want to join in the fun as a guest, send in your volunteer form or contact us at epigraphcast at gmail.com. Epigraph release is the last Wednesday of each month, except for September, I'm sorry. So look forward to the next chapter. Once again, I am Jay and I am uh, a Puerto Rican license plate. See you soon.